0: This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed, bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant <coughs> to a motherfucker like me, can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. <coughs> you know, Make some noise! Well, I'm here. I'm cute as shit. Oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh, skip, skip, skip! If you
1: don't chew Big Red, then... F-
0: you. That's so horny. you naked in the shower with your clothes on. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Three cash,
1: homie. three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W-Boss, W-Boss, W-Boss.
0: Well, everybody, thank you for uh, hopping on to another episode of the Do Not Listen To This Podcast. I am your host, Sam LaCrosse. Can you dig it? I can. And now here we are. So this is a very special episode of the Do Not Listen To This Podcast today. And as you can see, you can see me and you can see my guests on the screen, who hopefully you can see him or at least you'll see him flopping back and forth on the Zoom screen. But so this is going to be the first episode of the Do Not Listen To This Podcast conversation series. I'm super excited about this. And the goal of this is just going to be, well, it's going to be a couple things. One. You not having to listen to me all the time, talk all the time about all the things. We're going to have some diversity of voice and thought and, you know, processing around this kind of stuff, which is going to be nice. And two, it's going to just kind of go into depth on just singular topics that I would normally talk about in a blog post, but also want to get people who I believe are experts in the topic at hand on so that we can really just kind of develop ideas and get to see, you know, why these people are good at the way they are, the things that they're good at, why we're why we're going to talk about these things and everything involved. So here with me, I have, his name is Samuel on the Zoom screen, but Sam Jarek, and he is a longtime friend of mine. I remember, you know, I still have in my room, actually, a picture of us. I don't know if I've shown you this or sent you a picture of this, Sam, but the, uh, the infamous little league picture of like you dwarfing over me in like the background. I don't know if I've, ever I don't that. think I've seen that one. No. Okay. So I'll have to send it to you later, but it is really funny because even now you still tower over me compared to, you know, well, I guess not anymore because you're not in football. You've slimmed down a bit, but right. it's just kind of like you're still just kind of up here and then I'm just kind of like down here, which is, which is interesting. So, but let me just give you a quick you know introduction and then Sam can obviously introduce himself. But so Sam and I, like I said, have been friends for a very long time. We kind of got, it was interesting because I think a lot of friendships that we know from like high school and childhood, they start out when they're when people are younger, and then they just kind of grow up and they maybe grow apart. But I think ours is kind of opposite because we are different ages. We kind of hung out with different groups of people, and then as we grew up, we kind of diverged into one another. I think it, I don't know if that's a fair statement on on your behalf. That's not kind of the way I see it. Like we weren't like great friends like in our youth, but we kind of went like this together as we kind of grew up and into college and things like that.
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. First, just thank you for having me on the show. I've really enjoyed listening to what you've had to say since the early days of your blog. So I do enjoy the opportunity to be here. But I would agree with that. I think like when we were younger, not a ton because that age difference is really big. When you're fourth to fifth grade, that's so much more of a difference than it is.
0: Well, it's, junior, so, it's such a junior, bigger deal like, to kids that age too. Like, oh my God, you're hanging out with some fourth grader, but it would probably run like be cool for you fourth because you're, you're trading up, but I'm trading down. In that
1: right. Like cool for me, not cool mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. But I think one thing that started bringing us closer together again was my freshman year playing JV football, having no friends. I was very grateful to you, Chris Knapp, Joe Valenti, Cho. Yeah. You guys were really kind to me making me feel more at home than I did day
0: one this that's an that's an interesting point because I never I don't think I've ever asked you about this did you feel isolated during that time period of your life
1: yes I so interesting my freshman year high school I really had no friends like
0: wow I
1: Friday nights Saturday nights I was staying at home watching HGTV with my mom and my dad which I've told this story to a lot of people before but that's good in moderation yeah oh yes hgtv is good like Mm -hmm. one episode every other day maybe but when that's all your fridays and saturdays consist of i was really insecure freshman sophomore honestly most of high school and getting having the opportunity to hang out with you guys really helped me in that and one thing led to another eventually my parents convinced me to host a christmas sit down dinner party that oh yes i remember this yes at first hearing the idea yeah. i thought it was really lame but ended up becoming a cool tradition that we yeah, became a did thing. until 2019 mm-hmm. and it all started because i was trying to make friends in my
0: class cool that's uh, so that that is actually very interesting because you found security in probably when you mentioned myself joey and chris and i think if they're being honest i'll admit this and, and me certainly but you found security in the most insecure people in the grade above you, because we all were kind of like in that awkward. Well, I think, you know, 16 year old offensive, you know, lineman stuff. I think that would kind of be just generally a more insecure bunch of people, but like, you know, we weren't kind of like, it wasn't like, Oh wow. There's this guy from like a Friday night lights type of scenario that he like goes and like, you know, slogs beers, with Tim Riggins on the weekends. And we were just kind of like the, the people that were just kind of in that group. And I think that, you know, we did track together, you and I did for all all four mm-hmm. years or three years that we were together in high school. And then, you know, me and you and Joey and Chris, we kind of did that and those people, but I never actually knew that about you, which is interesting because I always found that to be kind of um, not, you know, you were, you always seem so secure to me. And that's kind of, I guess it's maybe like you show it on the outside, but you feel differently on the inside, which is definitely mm-hmm. probably the case, but um, I think it's just, it's very interesting for people about that, because part of the reason why I think I'm talking with you about the stuff we want to talk about today is because I had that perception of you, which is always interesting, because you never really know how someone is feeling until they tell you, I think, which is really, really cool and interesting. And, and I'm sorry if I, you know, didn't understand no. or that, but you know, it's, right. uh, it's very, very interesting to hear about that. Yeah. Um, I had one thing I
1: wanted to say, I don't remember what it was, but the second thing I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. I'm in a social psych class right now really been enjoying it didn't think I was going to like it that much but one thing we've been talking about recently is self-monitoring and how the different ways you present yourself to different groups of people and people that are high self-monitors are able to change the way they present themselves in different social circles and I think that's something I've been doing since a young age and especially being around you guys when I was a freshman Mm -hmm. trying to portray this confident front yeah was important to the social capital of belonging to that group. Oh, the other thing I was gonna say was the reason I part of the reason I didn't have any friends freshman year was be friends in my class. You guys Mm -hmm. were my friends, but Mm -hmm. was because my three best buddies, Mitch O'Hara, Jeff Spencer, they both went to all left. Yes. And then Matt Kelly, he was playing football on the freshman team. He had his own group of guys Mm -hmm. and it just it was hard. Yeah. they kind of all naturally disappeared.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think, so I want to kind of get into your background a little bit, because I think this kind of feeds into like what we're talking about right now. So for, um, for context, and obviously Sam, I'll let you speak to this too. So Sam is a year younger than me. Like we've been alluding to this whole time, but Sam was, he's a very talented athlete. He always was, he was a really good, he was a really good football player primarily. And then he also did track and field and was very, very good in that as well. His parents, his dad played in the NFL for six seasons. Five. Five. Okay. So five seasons in the NFL, went to Penn State, was very, very good at football. Mom, very tall, very nice, very athletic, you know, so kind of had very, they had very, very athletic babies. So like all their babies are very, very athletic. And Sam was primarily a very good athlete throughout high school. And so he played varsity all four years of high school, which we went to a pretty, for a public school, it was a pretty good football yes. program for a, for a public school. And so he earned a varsity letter every single time he went up through, you know, through our high school seasons. And then he eventually was ranked a top center in the entire country and then got a scholarship to play football at Northwestern University, which is one of the best academic schools in the country because Sam was also a genius and one of the smartest. He's like, it's interesting because Sam is always, he was always smarter in the things that I was not smart at, which made our conversations really, really interesting because Sam is very much a a STEMI science guy, biology, all that other kind of stuff. And so Sam, he goes on to play at Northwestern and he actually Your roommate was Rashawn Slater, who was, who who now is a is a good friend of yours, and is now an all world, literally an all pro, all world tackle for the Los Angeles Chargers. You were just in California a couple weeks ago watching him play, and so that's very cool. And so Sam is also he's like a gentle giant in the sense where he also is very he's a very kind person, he's a very good person, but he's also a just a killer on the foot. Like he likes to you know beat people up and do all the things that you know us meathead football people used to like to do. And Sam was really good at that. He was really good at both of those things. And so thinking back on what we were talking about with all the high school stuff is that, you know, did you feel since you were very athletically inclined that you had like an amount of, I know, like your, your dad, you know, you and your dad kind of had like a, a, and I think all fathers do this to a degree, but since your dad was a good football player, you were a good football player, you probably felt pressure from him, but did you feel kind of a, like a hype or like a societal pressure when you came into the big leagues right away? Because I can, I I would assume it, but I wouldn't. i, I did been, I wanted to get your opinion on that as well.
1: So let me first start by saying I didn't let her freshman year and did I was real. I was incredibly bitter about it at the time.
0: Really? So wh- why yeah. didn't they give you one? You played in the playoff game. Why didn't they give you one?
1: I, I t- to be fair, I played in like five plays of that playoff game. But we scored a
0: touchdown on the one drive you were in before you broke your shoulder up. I don't know. Oh, that's garbage. I'm going to have to talk to some people about that.
1: <laughs> I think Frombach ended up crediting me with a letter, even if I didn't okay. get it. All right,
0: that's, that's fine.
1: Yeah, that's so fine. Frombach okay. may have righted it wrong there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I regarding the pressure to be successful in football, to play football even at a young age, I never felt that from my dad. My dad was always very, if this is something that's going to make you happy, I'm more than happy to help you do it. But mm-hmm. do not feel any pressure from me to do so. I'm very grateful to him for that, because I think it would have been very easy for him to Mm -hmm. look at me and say, wow, I see so much of myself in him. Mm -hmm. He has this ability that I had. This would be so cool if we can share this and to resist that temptation and to give me options into what I want to do is something that's difficult.
0: Yeah. And I think I think I kind of see that now because. And I won't mention any names, but I mean we had, you know, there's there's people like this in every town, but we had people whose dads were like really, really into it. And whenever, like your dad would, he was, he's a he's a good man, first of all. So I mean, I wouldn't expect him to really put, you know, be like, oh, you have to do this or be like so domineering right. or whatever. But I would think that, you know, we had people, you know, he was never when I would look up into women's stands and you guys had your own like language that you did with, you know, you kind of could just innately like, you know, this the spidey sense understand each other in terms of that. But your dad was never like a rah-rah guy, he was never like, I'm gonna yell at the coach about this type of thing. I think maybe the reason I thought that was because your dad is just a very intense person. Whenever I interacted with him, like even when he was like, you know, happy to see me, he would always, you know, come shake my hand or whatever, but he was always kind of like, he was always dialed in. Like he's never off in like, you know, fantasy land or getting off into some other stuff. So maybe I think that's why I thought my dad is like that as well. So I think maybe conflated that a little bit, but that's actually very good. And where I was kind of getting into that was because, from my level, and I've told you this a couple of times, and again, I won't say the person's name, we had people gunning for you on the, so, who, so this is my sophomore year, your freshman year at the time. And we had some people say like, this guy's not that hot shit. Like he's overrated. Like he's kind of, you know, whatever. And I'm like, are you, are you sure about that? Like, I mean, I don't know if they would like, I didn't send anybody else up to play this, you know, it's whatever. And, um, but, you know, I think it's gonna, you know, so I, it was, it, it wasn't like, a team type of thing like did you feel any pressure to kind of you know come up to everybody else and maybe prove yourself or something or was that not even a thing for you were you kind of secure in that aspect of it as well
1: so before I talk about the pressure from the team kind of thing I want to talk about the signals with my dad in the stands mm-hmm. because honestly yes. those are some of my most fond memories of playing sports at all when I was younger
0: well you, just, you got a whole article written about this in you I remember it was in the paper at one point wasn't it
1: I think that was more just about talking through technique in my kitchen okay. something like that but this especially in middle school when the coaches do not care a lick no. about what you do on the field no. they give mm-hmm. you the structure of the defense but they do not care mm-hmm. they, he would give me this was the club signal like you were dancing in a club yep. He would instruct okay. me to club rip the center oh yeah was cock nose mm-hmm. and the best thing when I looked into the stands was if he gave me meaning I broke somebody's spirit. Oh and my God, that's that so was just awesome. such a dominant performance in a game. Oh, that's like but braveheart
0: shit. That's awesome. You
1: crushed the other person. Wow. So honestly, those were some of my fondest memories playing football at any level, that the relationship with him, that he's helped me through so mm-hmm. many different challenges throughout football. Like, yeah. I do not say enough good things about him for that. And I think yeah. the reason he came off as, maybe reserved and serious in so many interactions that you and other teammates that I've played with in the past is because he wanted to make my football experience about me and not him. And yeah. that kind of goes back to resisting that temptation because if you're that huge rah-rah guy, you're making your son's football game about you rather than right. spurring him on, encouraging him. Mm-hmm. So another thing among many that I'm grateful to him
0: for. Yeah. Yeah. And I think another thing about that too, I I think because your dad was such, you know, and he didn't get on like when he would talk with you about football, because you know, so Mr. Jarek, Sam's dad, he used to have these separate linemen practices. We both played offensive and defensive Mm -hmm. line high school, primarily offensive line. And so we would have a separate practice on Sunday nights where we would go out as a team, as an offensive line unit together and defensive line unit together, which Mr. Jarek would kind of the team at the high school would kind of outsource your dad to be a de facto you know because they weren't line. allowed to technically. yeah so it, oh that's right, right because they had limited from the uh the mm-hmm. ohsaa which is the governing body for ohio athletics and so they kind of used mr jarek as like a consultant for kind of the position yeah. group and everything like this and so the funny thing that i always remembered was your dad would i mean your dad's a big guy like your dad is a yeah. really big guy and so like i'm talking like six five like you know two three hundred pounds all this other stuff but your dad was just always talking. He never talked about strength. He never talked about, you know, really dominating anybody. He was always about footwork, leverage, hand placement, mm-hmm. everything in terms of that. And that's what he would, he, well, I, I know when you would you would tell me about this and we would have, you know, film sessions with your dad, he would always grade us on those things. And he would never be like the stereotypical, like, you know, longest Yard, Lineman, Joey Piaz, Meathead guy. He would always be like, no, you, this is the thing you need to do. This is the people we need to watch, everything else. So your dad was a really big, Perfectionist in that kind of aspect of the game, he he was really kind of he respected the beauty of the way offensive linemen go about playing football, and I think that's something that I now even look at when I'm watching football recreationally. I kind of look like, oh, this guy's really high. That's why he got blowed up. That's why he kind of did everything else. It's kind of everything. It's It's always blowed up. I know, borrowing your dad, yes, borrowing your dad's phrase, yes. So it, it was it was interesting because you know he would always it seemed like he would always really focus on the right things. He wasn't really overbearing. He wasn't really a bloviating guy. He never really got on anybody's ass about much. He was always just kind of, this is the way you do things. You do things the right way. You kind of, you know, move towards all this stuff. And it, it not only translated to football, but it translated to every aspect of your life. And we can, you, I'll let you, you know, respond to this, obviously, and then we can get into kind of the other things, which is what the main topic is going to be about. But I find that really, really intriguing about your dad. Cause I never really knew that about him.
1: Yeah. One thing that I think is really telling about him is whenever we talk about him retiring from his career in law. I always thought he would want to coach football at
0: mm-hmm. whatever
1: level he could be that high school, college, anything like that. Mm-hmm. And his desire has always been to return to youth football third, fourth wow. third grade, because wow. the most satisfaction he gets out of the sport is encouraging another kid to love the sport, love the mm-hmm. game, have fun yeah. playing it. Mm-hmm. And I just really appreciate that. I think you can see that even in our Sunday night workouts, our Sunday night film sessions during the year, Mm -hmm. because of the way he went about it, it was about encouraging us to grow an appreciation for the sport and grow to love playing the game.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think you know, because football, I think is getting such an such an unfair rap right now in the mainstream because of like the CTE stuff and the concussions and you know all the other things going around. With you know, I don't know if it's the social stuff or it's everything like that, but you know, it, what, what's really funny listening to some of these ex NFL guys talk, particularly when the CTE stuff was start, starting to get big with Junior Seau's suicide. And, you know, you had a couple of other people like Mike Webster of the Pittsburgh Steelers, who was an offensive lineman and everybody. And I remember specifically Mark Schlereth of now Fox Sports. He was at ESPN for a long time. He was on a Cowherd show talking about it. And Cowherd, you know, kind of confronted him about the CTE stuff. And he was like, now that you know this information, would you go back and would you alter your career? And he said, no. Because it's like, you know, I think football benefited me in so many other ways. If I, if I suffer this trauma, and you can obviously speak this better, you're a biology major, you can obviously speak this better than I could. But I think it's something unique, uniquely intriguing about football itself. And then we can move on to some other stuff. But it just, it kind of just bleeds into everything. And I think, you know, that one experience, and you can probably speak more of this than anybody I know, because you played it for literally your entire life up until a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, so you just you just finished your retro senior season in Northwestern, and you just kind of are now adjusting to the post-football Sam Jarrett instead of the football student-athlete Sam Jarrett version. But I've always found that very interesting when talking with guys that are really big football heads like you and I, particularly you, because you were actually good at it. And I was just kind of like average at it. But, you know, so I, I always find that interesting.
1: Yeah, I don't think I would change much about my career, and I haven't read the research papers on mm-hmm. CT. i really don't know a ton about it but mm-hmm. in whatever ways they're able to make the game safer they are doing without yes. losing the integrity of the game and sometimes even approaching losing the integrity of the game mm-hmm. with these targeting calls that get people ejected from games yeah with all the roughing the passer calls you see in the nfl that you mm-hmm. just there are no reason for yeah but if it's keeping people safer i understand it and if it brings more people to the sport so be it mm-hmm. but yeah I I would not change a single thing yeah I would change but, something but I would still continue to play to the extent that I have if
0: that mm-hmm. makes sense. yeah so it's kind of pivoting off of that but in the same kind of vein so where did the where did the academics I, I don't want to say stress but like where did the the push for strong academics because you're also one of the smartest people I have I've met that's of our age group Where did did that come from? Your dad still, or was that your mom, or was that both your parents, or kind of everything else? Because I know they were both really involved in your life. So I didn't know if it was coming from one side of the house or the other.
1: I think it was kind of a good cop, bad cop approach in a way. Okay. My mom was always encouraging me if I was having a tough day at school or got a bad grade, that's okay. You're going to do better next time. Mm -hmm. And my dad was the guy who would, we would put our grades on the counter.
0: Oh, every day oh. for when
1: he came home from work so for some reason this one specific memory is really stuck in my brain second grade we had to take oat reading tests every friday oh, the, worst. the worst and it was always out of 10 points and you put that on the counter along with any other graded work you had for the week mm-hmm. and if you had a bad grade you would put it near the bottom and hope he didn't go all the way through and if you got a 10 out of 10, you would put it on top so he would see it. But he yep. knew that it was every Friday, so he was always looking for it. Yep. Um, but if I had a bad grade on one of those, I was terrified for my dad to come home. Not because he would, like, hit me or anything. It was just yeah the disappointment in his face. Like, sometimes mm. he would yell. But I think it came from both my parents just in different ways
0: okay i answer. was like well, so, so like again I, I i have to ask this with everybody who i consider really smart what is a quote-unquote bad grade on one of those things because oh. like I,
1: I like in it, college it I was like you
0: know that i would i was friends with a lot of you know a lot of really really smart women in, in college and they would be like i they would be like oh my god i did so off on this test i'm like well, what'd you get and like they're like oh, an 089 i'm like fuck you like i mean it's like that's not a yeah bad grade. so it's like what what was a bad grade to you back then like what was kind of the the line that your parents would be like you need to step your shit up or this is kind of like okay for you if you don't mind me asking
1: so the standard once you got past like satisfactory unsatisfactory in first second grade the standard was anything that was not that didn't start with an a was unacceptable a minus okay like we can deal with this a was the standard
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So, so that, that's kind of, so it kind of was, you know, both sides of your mom, your dad, everything else. So you have uh-huh. had also very, you know, big, I would say, I don't know if, I mean, would you say stress is the right word for, you know, living up to those expectations on the athletic field and the academic field?
1: I don't, I mean, there's certainly stress, but mm-hmm. I don't know the exact word for it. It might be like you stress or something, but I think there's a yeah. positive stress that a lot of people do not enjoy being under. Mm -hmm. and i think at a certain point those standards whether they were academic or athletic became my own standards i think that's an important thing for parents to do in the life of their children is to make them take over their own standards for living
0: yeah does that make sense yeah no totally i i i I do understand that i i definitely i definitely agree with that i think and the reason i ask is because um, and this is kind of getting into more of the, the the topic of, you know, that we wanted to dive into today is that, you know, you were, you know, you didn't only have, you know, a lot of, you know, you were very, very good in a couple of very, very important areas, but you were also, and it's rarely you see that. And I always kind of have a joke. I think I told you, I might've told you this once or twice, but it's like, you know, you were kind of one of the annoying people in high school that kind of, you know, everything was like a ball, like in the line with all this other stuff. And I know it's never like that, but like from the outside looking in, like you have like. The Maxwell twins, and you have Cordarozzi and then you have you, and you have a couple other people that are just like, you know, everything is kind of coming into center with them. And you know, I think it's it's very interesting because you know it's something you know it's also like it could be something you get jealous of, obviously, because you're like you know well, fuck that guy. is, you know, is all the stars aligned with him? He's got like really good, you know, athletic ability, really good academic ability. He's really into you know his faith, which we can get into later. All the other things that kind of happen with that, but you know, where did kind of I would say the how did you kind of able, how are you able, I should say, to strike the balance when you really had all those things coming into you, whether that was, because, I mean, the thing that I would get mad at when I was in college, especially, and maybe this is because I went to Ohio State, you went to Northwestern where the academics are much harder than Ohio State's were, but, you know, people would always say like, oh, you know, student athletes, they have, you know, it's you know, they, they have people to pay them to do their homework. They have all this other stuff going on for them. And I'm like, Do you realize how hard that these people work? Like in all this other stuff, they have the life of a full-time student. They might have, you know, they might have stuff going on at home. You never know what's going on behind that curtain. You might, they have, you know, their school stuff, especially if they are in a hard degree, which like you were in a lot of, I would say most of probably your teammates were in a relatively hard degree. And so I think it's just being the you were the one person who I would say that kind of really had all of the positive qualities of what I would call like a balanced life, but you also had a very deep balanced life, and you were really kind of into all of those in I would say a, a really profound amount, I would say, because you were also what you like I said, you're a really good student, you were a really good athlete, you're really avid in, you know, you always supported me in my charity endeavors, which I'm very, very grateful for. You were always really, you know, good in the social aspect. You were good in your, you know, your religious aspect. You were good in a bunch of things. So did was that ever kind of something you ever thought about, or was that just kind of like so innate to you at a time, particularly when you left your home and you went to become a college student, you're just like this is who I am this is what I do this is kind of how I need to go about my life and I don't know if that was a loaded question or not if you understood what I was trying to say but I I was always really curious that I wanted to ask you about for sure
1: yeah so there are a couple different things I want to respond to there first like all the different talents you just mentioned abilities God has been very good to me and it's easy to forget that when you see success in your life that it's not your own doing I think Mm -hmm. it's God has blessed me with the ability to do a lot of cool things. So I'm grateful for that and mm-hmm. that's important to remember. Yeah. Then talking about people paying others to do their homework, that really does not happen at Northwestern. I can't testify to other places, other places. but the only time that I've seen people pay others to do their homework, it was other teammates that they were oh, paying for really?
0: homework. Okay.
1: Yeah. Typically like a walk-on would be getting paid by a scholarship player to do his homework. But uh, then again, yep. even that is super uncommon. Yeah. It's most of the guys get their stuff done when it needs to get done.
0: Mm-hmm. Then. And I mean, you, you, and you went to a program too, where like your, your head coach, I mean, he's all up, he's like all about that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, he's a mm-hmm. Northwestern guy, so he knows the standards. So you guys probably had that beaten into your brains, whether you wanted to or not from coach Fitzgerald up there, I would imagine.
1: Yes, certainly. And most of the guys on the team are not in incredibly hard majors, I think. Not to bash these majors at all, but communications and LOC were the two that Mm. most people on the team would fit into. Yep, And then economics would probably be third. Then we have a couple of site guys, journalism couple of pre-med guys and then some engineers engineers blow me away i do not yeah, understand. believe me me too <laughs> how they do any of that yeah but fitz was always very fitz is my football coach Pat Fitzgerald. yeah yep. he i just wanted to let listeners know if they didn't know i yeah remember. i was a
0: coach uh, pat fitzgerald northwestern football yeah. head coach uh all world northwestern player when he did play now the head coach and a very very good one if i say so myself
1: i completely agree and Every time we have our first day of class, he, after a practice, he'll say, okay, what are the rules? How do you get good grades? You go to class and then you, and everybody answers, go to class. And then you, everybody answers, go to class. And so he was always very much about get your stuff done. There's no excuse for not getting your schoolwork done. You have more than enough resources at your fingertips. Mm -hmm. So he was very good for that, I think. Mm -hmm. And so what you were talking about transitioning to college and continuing to maintain that balance, it's difficult when you've been the big man on campus, so to say, for so long, like in high school, I was always this dominant player, always Mm -hmm. got grades that I was happy with. Mm -hmm. And not to be that guy. But in high school, I really didn't study that much. I, I studied in certain classes that I needed to. AP bio AP chem but like most of that came really easily to me and then getting to Northwestern when school no longer came easily to me Mm -hmm. everybody's smart here everybody is a good athlete on the team Mm -hmm. these guys are 22 23 year old men that you're going against in practice every day yeah that was like my first couple practices against Sean Train Vince Orlando and yeah. uh, Tyler, what's his last name? Williams. Williams. Yeah. Going against those three guys on as a scout defensive line player was so difficult. I had such a chip on my shoulder. Yeah. But I think it's a similar concept getting to college where you're In not everything. that guy anymore, and you kind of have to reestablish an identity because you can't just be the guy who's good at everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not what you're going to be throughout your whole life. Mm-hmm. So. It took me a little while to find my identity. And I think something that's been important for me has been whatever group I've been a part of, this is kind of getting off topic, but whatever group Go I've been ahead. a part of, whether it was football or different biology majors, I've liked to have something that was a little different from the stereotype of that group membership. Like oh. for football, I enjoy being more academically inclined than some of my teammates. I enjoy being the team nerd, like having that reputation. Yeah. For other biology majors, I love having my classics minor, having that interest in history that so many other people don't enjoy. And I know other people in biology have different minors and different interests too, but I do think there's something to be said about, even if you're not going to be the absolute best at whatever group membership you're in, Having something that makes you different is important in establishing membership to that group and in establishing a particular identity in that group.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it, it, it's like individuality within a collective identity, right? Because you kind of have to, you know, stick with what you also, you know, feed into and all the things you kind of have together and everything, you know, all the things that you have going for you. But also, you need to, you know, everyone needs to adapt in order to be a part of, you know, something, you know, that's a part yeah. of them and everything else. So. And the other thing that I wanted to touch on, too, was that, you know, you didn't really and I could be very wrong about this, but you really kind of started getting vocal and present with Christianity, with your faith later on in high school. And then really, when you were in college, you kind of you kind of stepped up to the plate, so to speak, as a Christian man and kind of being a person that really delved deeper into that kind of stuff. So that's like a, like a third wheel of the trike. that You kind of had to balance along with the other two, plus, you know. You being just an overall good person, a good member of society, which is a harder thing to do. I think now I think now you realize this than, you know, just kind of being out in the world. It's a harder thing to be a positive member of society all the time than most people would like to be, not be a burden on people, kind of just being going on the straight and narrow and doing good things. But so if I have this correct, like you were you grew up in a Christian household, correct? And you kind of just got more into it either through group exposure later in high school through I, I believe you know young maybe young life in in high school and that just kind of drove you to kind of get the momentum on that going and you can fill in the blanks for sure but
1: so coach lutz he was our defensive backs yes. coach for our first two or three years in high school
0: mm-hmm. and
1: he belonged to a church called providence in avon evangelical free church mm-hmm. and the youth leader at that church chris warzowski mm-hmm. he was always coming by practice developing relationship with guys on the team and throughout most of my adolescent years i was under the impression that christianity was more about balancing the scales if you did more good than you did bad then you were going to go to heaven mm-hmm. and it wasn't until attending youth group for a while that i understood that everybody is sinful in some manner to some degree yep and that everything that is not perfect falls below the standard of God Mm -hmm. and that it's about having a relationship with Christ that covers any sins that I may perpetrate on a daily basis. And so Mm -hmm. it wasn't until junior, senior year of high school that I really understood that and bought into that rather than the just be a good person and go to heaven side of Christianity. Yeah. Um, So, Getting into college, I was super excited about finding a different, finding a group that I could belong to, finding a community that I could continue to grow closer to Christ in. My first two years of college, I had a great group in Athletes in Action. We had some great leaders there. After my sophomore year, a bunch of the older guys that led that group graduated, and we had a lack of leadership there. Mm -hmm. And that partially fell to me because at that point, I was an upperclassman. I just was not, leading the group very well. Okay. And then COVID hit. I that, you know, that was during when
0: all the all the all the shit kind of, you know, just went yeah. out everybody else. Yeah.
1: COVID hits. We're doing Bible studies online. You cannot, as much as people want to say, it's so hard to relate to somebody when you're talking about things that are really eating at your soul and things that you're really struggling with mm-hmm. over Zoom. Yeah. It, it's it's just not the same as being in person sitting Next to a brother or sister in Christ and talking about that mm-hmm. so kind of been dealing with that community wise for the past couple of years, and I have not been the man of faith that i've needed to be in the past six months to a year just because i've been I was studying for the MCAT this spring what you it got a perfect score on you know, what what you got like a perfect score on didn't you no, no, I was like. I got a 521, so that doesn't mean much to many people. Was,
0: well, it, so, and for context, the you can look up this tweet. There's the receipt is still up there. So, the Northwestern uh, Athletic Department, or I believe the football the football team Twitter on Northwestern tweeted out like a just you know I, I assume you know knowing you this is probably so embarrassing with you, like you see like every single accomplishment you have ever had as a Northwestern football player, yeah, in they really like put my
1: resume up there essentially. Yeah, no, they yeah I
0: was gonna say they basically did. And, um, you know, they had, you know, you scored very, very well on the MCAT and everything. So it's like, you know, you want to go to medical school and you've kind of had all this other stuff, but I'll let you continue. But I was like, you know, I always thought that was super impressive.
1: Right. And so kind of going off that just once you start to disengage, it's hard to get back into it. Mm -hmm. And when you lose that community that you've put so much effort into, it's difficult to rediscover that community. And that's something that we're trying to do with the football team trying to raise up leaders for the next generations of football players for the next generations of Northwestern football players specifically and just trying to introduce God to this or this campus to God Mm -hmm. through some of these guys so hopefully that's where campus is moving specifically and for me if I can be a part of that I hope to serve in whatever capacity I can
0: yeah and I think um, that, that's kind of your beef with, you know, and a lot of people's beef, you know, especially in, you know, our, you know, the things we've talked about in relation to this, but like with relate, I don't know what other religions do this, but Catholicism is the easy one to pick on, you know, the deeds based, you know, way of going about your faith and everything. And I always have, I don't think I actually came up with this theory like last week. So I, I actually want to pause this to you. So if you watch, um, I love mafia movies. I love mob movies, love prime movies, yeah. all this other stuff. What religion is every single mob boss and every single mob series ever catholic yes and so why, why do you think that is because they just paid a bunch of money to like a church or something else and you know they kind of were just like oh if i just do all these things if i make scholarship money in my name or whatever then i'm going to be on the right side of god's history or whatever thing about it is but i think you kind of have cracked the pavement in a way where it's like you kind of broke away from that traditional myth because i was brought up catholic as well and a lot of other people are kind of you know, in that kind of vein, because Catholicism, I believe is still the most popular, it's definitely the most popular branch of Christianity, I would still see mm-hmm. in the world. And, and one of the most popular, if not the most popular sector of religion in the world. And it's, it's an interesting way to go about it, because it's like, you know, I know a lot of people that I think this is kind of like, I know bad people that go to church on Sundays, and I know good people that never, you know, whatever, that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, and this is something that you educated me on, which is really, you know, it's, it's been really, you know, good for my development. It's very crucial that people see that, I think.
1: Yeah so one I think it's not that you're doing this but I don't want to conflate Catholicism strictly with the mafia.
0: Oh yeah no 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 no. Um, yeah no it's, it's not a, I'm just I'm just yeah. saying it's an odd coincidence that this is all like you know kind of right. everything else. And in
1: this. I think a lot of scripture comes down to I just looked this up I wish I had it memorized and I should have it memorized but no. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves; it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Mm-hmm. So, this is nothing that you and I are doing to earn our salvation. This is all a gift that is given by God. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What was the other part of your question? I'm sorry. I honestly don't remember
0: at this point. So I, you can okay. just keep going. You can just keep going. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, just it, it's difficult
0: mm-hmm. because
1: I think there's so many things that Catholics get right. I think Uh Catholics have a great respect for God when they walk into his house, into Uh a church. I think they do a lot of good things within their mass, but ideologically, I just disagree with a lot of Uh (laughs) their stances. Uh Uh, I think Catholicism could learn things from Protestantism, and I think Protestantism could learn a lot of things from Catholicism. Uh And to make distinctions that, completely eliminate one group or the other from salvation i think is a mistake and something that some people do but it's all about having a relationship with christ and Mm -hmm. it's easy to forget about that when you get caught up in the bustle of whatever your day contains Mm -hmm. but i think for me personally it's about trying to anchor my life around god and not just like sandwich a little bit of time with him at some yeah. point of the day. It's about making
0: decisions throughout the day,
1: based on what he would be
0: doing. Yeah, right. Trying to become kind of, more like him through that. Not like carving out like a fifteen minute, you know, calendar thing on your hundred Google Cal or something where you can just be like, "Oh, I got to do this now," you know? Of thing. Right, yeah. and then you just forget about it the rest of the day. And yep. I do think
1: That's- there's value in finding specific time to spend in work, to spend in prayer, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like for you, but it's not a 15 minutes then the rest of the day is mine it's the whole mm-hmm. day is his and he's going to use you in whatever way possible it's kind of mm-hmm. like it's not just church on sunday rest of the week completely forget about it yeah
0: same concept mm-hmm. and that's actually i think a perfect jump off point so it's like i think we've touched on your football aspect just in your academic aspect just in your faith aspect you kind of you know wrapped a bunch of things in one but the, the common trend that I think with with these that I that I wanted to kind of focus this on and kind of relate it to like a broader discussion is that these things are hard. Like, I mean, these are very, very hard things to, you know, commit to and kind of really, you know, because being a collegiate athlete is very hard. Being a collegiate student athlete is very hard. Like being a collegiate student athlete does all these volunteering and he wants to really dive personally and in a community of faith and everything like this. But, and I think I have kind of a two-part question, you know, with, you know, kind of jumping off of that. So it's, why these things are you choosing to be balanced in and why are so because a lot of people are other kind of quote unquote balanced with other easier things you could argue because they go out and they have fun with their friends and they party and they drink and they do all these other things which again it's it's not I'm not you know trying to shit on those people Mm -hmm. or anything else but it's like you have chosen this path for a reason other people have chosen the other path for a reason so why did you divert from you know, because you, you could have done that. There's a lot of people I knew, you know, you know in college, and I'm sure you knew a college that kind of did that path. And that's the path of the majority, in my opinion, is people that, you know, commit themselves to be doing those things and having the quote unquote college experience and whatever that kind of goes along with that. And maybe that's a luxury you weren't afforded necessarily because you had so much commitment around a lot of things. But why did you deliberately try, choose to align your life around those things really come from a younger and more, what was traditionally like an immature age to kind of be, you know, now, where you are this person who is so I think looked upon very highly by myself and by a lot of other people do you, do you know like do you have a reason for thinking that is or is it just kind of random or what do you think it is so first to talk about the drinking
1: social aspect I think for me first of all let me just say I've indulged in my fair share of mm-hmm. drinking and yeah, we all hang out with friends while I've been in college <laughs> maybe not to the same degree that you're talking about, but Mm -hmm. my attitude on that started probably freshman, sophomore year when elder would give his talks to the team. You don't go to a party, you get caught, you're suspended. And I throughout high school had a really rigid belief Mm -hmm. that nobody should be partying. Nobody should be doing any of this. Cause I hadn't done it. I hadn't experienced it. I didn't know how fun it was, frankly, Mm-hmm. and yeah, I remember right. there was one there was one day I think you and I had gone to Applebee's for dinner or something and you took me by a party you took me by a party in Highland Park something like that and we were there maybe 20 minutes max and I was like oh my gosh this this is a high school party
0: this is sweet that was at that was at the judge's place wasn't it? I think this is all coming it might have been this point. yeah yeah this is all coming back to me now yes I remember this so go ahead. and even that taste of it
1: I really enjoyed but didn't change my overall attitude toward other people doing it and Mm -hmm. I think one of the big mistakes I made in high school and being a captain of the football team Mm -hmm. was how harshly I took a stance against people partying I think looking back I alienated some people and people resented me because of that position I took Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't change the overall position that people shouldn't be going out because i don't want them to get suspended from the team but if i could go back and kind of shake myself a little bit just a little more empathy and willingness to look from other people's perspectives just to be smart Mm -hmm. don't do anything stupid don't drink and drive if you're going to do something do something small just with your friends anyway that's a tangent
0: no getting into college
1: especially freshman sophomore year when you have gen chem orgo Mm -hmm. I should have spent more time studying, and I really didn't go out a ton. I can count probably on one hand the amount of times I went out freshman and sophomore year. Mm -hmm. Should have spent more time studying. Spent a lot of time sleeping, playing video games, whatever. Yep. But that being said, I really just did not have the opportunity to do so my freshman and sophomore year. Mm -hmm. Junior year had a little bit more of that opportunity started going out a little more and i was 21 at that point so mm-hmm. that makes things a lot more accessible Yep,
0: especially in a place like chicago
1: right and yeah. now you have to. everybody that has a fake id has a fake vaccine card to go with it because your name oh yeah mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right even if they're actually vaccinated it's a whole mess really anyway,
0: so if they're vaccinated they have a fake vax card
1: because their id that has their real name on it
0: oh my god you're right on. Yeah. That is hysterical. I never thought of that before. So they have now, I wonder what that mar- that market's got to be huge at this point. Oh. Mean, there's got to be people making serious money doing that kind of stuff. 100%. Oh my goodness. That's a, that's a ridiculous, but so funny idea, but go ahead. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry.
1: So I think my going out partying experience culminated this past year when I was studying for the MCAT, it was, the whole week, four to six hours studying a day, Mm -hmm. Saturday, take a full length test, which is seven hours. And then just blow off steam that Saturday night. Yeah. And kind of getting into that habit was bad for me. Mm -hmm. And I only recently realized how bad it was for me. Mm -hmm. One that it's not a good habit for myself personally, but two, it's not representing the kingdom of God very well, Mm -hmm. And people continuing to see me out, not to bash people for going out because I think there's, certainly value in that spending time with other people just not wanting to get too close to a line that's been drawn
0: yeah it's it's just kind of it's a lure though for sure to your point, there's an attraction to it that a lot of people have that everyone has i think in their you know heart of hearts if they Mm -hmm. we all want to have fun we all need to blow off steam we kind of you know want to have that aspect and there is kind of a communal aspect of doing it especially when you're You drinking is a team activity. At the end of the day, you don't. You know, people don't. You know, often when they want to have fun drinking, they just don't get one of these. You know, bottles on my back shelf and just say like, I'm going to have myself a fucking night up in here. They go out and they drink with people. You
1: know, exactly. It's community based. It's social, and for academics and athletics, at least talking about some of the things that I have tried to commit my life to. Mm -hmm. Those are sometimes more solitary academics are definitely more solitary a lot of the time you're studying by yourself unless there's a midterm or final coming up then Mm -hmm. those are some of the times that you get into groups but that's a difficult thing that you often don't have the pleasure of enjoying with another person yeah and then Mm -hmm. athletics first of all a lot of people aren't blessed with the opportunity to compete at the level i have Mm
0: -hmm.
1: so that's just not an option for many people but even in doing that there are a lot of people that wouldn't do so just because physically difficult you're going to miss a lot of opportunities and i think that's something that people in our generation me included are stressed out about missing opportunities whether they're social academic sure what have you mm-hmm. playing football playing any collegiate sport is going to be a major time constraint and going to prohibit you from doing some things that you might enjoy yeah and then talking about the faith aspect which is really what I try to center my life on even if I'm not successful sometimes and I forget Mm -hmm. that's what I believe to be the most lasting that's in this infinite line of time this one point on that line is going to determine the rest of that line for myself yeah how I behave now, how I invest my time, how I develop a relationship with Christ is going to impact the rest of eternity. And I think it's easy to lose sight of that because whatever the average lifespan is for somebody our age, 80, whatever in the United States. Yeah, I have
0: no idea what it is. So you get to just throw This 80
1: them. years seems like such a long time. And it seems like we have an infinite amount of time to do whatever we want in this life. But when you look at eternity, And like our soul's destination throughout eternity, it's easy to lose sight of that fate and just focus on this small period of time. I'm kind of rambling, but no, I that's what really encourages me to focus on my faith because I want to spend eternity after life here with God. Mm-hmm. not somewhere else. I don't want to be separated from God. I want, I think that's the best investment of my time. Even if sometimes short-term, it doesn't seem like that. And sometimes short-term, I don't act like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's a short time, but it also kind of, you know, I flip between this. I don't know if you do this too. Maybe it's just my mind, you know, bugging out on me or whatever, but I am getting to a point. It's like, I'm going to be 25 this year. It's like, I'm already, you know, I, it's already, you're old. I know, dude, I'm fucking quarter of a century old almost. So it's going to be like a, you know, it's also, you know, it seems like, you know, when you say like 80 years old, I'm like, well, you know, shit, that's like 55 years or whatever that I still have left, but it's like, I've already lived 25 of the 80. So it's like a kind of, you know, you have the long and the short kind of coin flip thing that you're kind of going back and forth on. So, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of, is a good, a good thing to, you know, talk about, you know, is that, you know, the, what compels you to do all these quote unquote hard things? Is it really, is it the aspect where you know whether I think people you know whether they're religious or not they say like okay I have I only have a finite amount of time here I'm going to really just kind of invest in the things that matter or is it just kind of that's the way you were brought up culturally in your house or in kind of you know your 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 family or your or our hometown that we shared together or what is it what's the drive like what's the compelling thing to do all of these things that people don't have that unique chemistry like you do of kind of Alchemizing them, I don't even know if that's a fucking word, like bring them into one, okay. know, one uh yeah. one entity of a, a life philosophy. So what is what's the internal motivation for you if you have one to do that and to make those kind of sacrifices?
1: I think I could cite a lot of different things, whether that's pressure from my family to do so, mm-hmm. growing up in like Protestant conservative Ohio. Mm-hmm. But I think or whether that's just investing in something that's going to be successful in the long run. Mm -hmm. But I think the main motivation for me to invest in my faith particularly is I'm happiest when I feel closest to God. I'm happiest when I feel like I'm spending the most time with Christ. And there have been so many times in my life, specifically past seven, eight months from June to December of 21, just not spending a lot of time in the word not spending a lot of time in prayer and not enjoying who i was becoming i've Mm -hmm. always been the happiest when i've been around christian community and i think there's a reason for that yeah like it's not always going to be easy but having that relationship with christ
0: is rewarding both now and for eternity Mm -hmm. and i I, you know, it kind of, you know, I was going to ask, like, okay, so why do people not do the things that you do when they bring you so much joy? But I think it's kind of like, it's the, it's the, it's the secularism. It's the, you know, the kind of skepticism a lot it's of people have. Yeah. It, yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's, you know, I think that's actually very true. It's like what it boils down to. It's kind of like, where are you going to, you know, go and do like, whatever. It's like, no, I got, I might have, you know, a Bible study night. I might have church tomorrow. I might have all these other things. It's like, you know, you, You sometimes can't do, you know, the normal hedonism that like, you know, mid to early twenties people do when they kind of just go out and they, you know, blow their brains out with alcohol or whatever. And it's like, do, do you think honestly, that's what it is. It's just kind of the societal, like the, the, it's not the, the not cool aspect of it that people don't really invest in the, what I think everyone, I think honestly notices is the important stuff. Like, I think people know this stuff at the end of the day that it's like, you should be doing things that matter more than kind of just combining a bunch of. You know, you don't go out every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know, whatever to, you know, have your life doing this stuff. You could be spending some of that time doing other things, but a lot of people don't. And do you think it's just kind of the the societal pressure, the cool factor that kind of drives people away? Or or do you think there's, you know, another aspect of that? Because I think that's definitely a part of it for sure.
1: I do think that's a part of it. I think another part of it is people want to be the masters of themselves. They want to feel like they are in charge of their life they are in control of everything yeah and frankly we're not deserving to be in charge oh, oh, oh well not. i mean
0: we've, we've we've seen that in the past couple in the past couple when human beings get in, in too much control of shit we fuck shit up real fast
1: yeah and yeah. i think it's really comforting to be able to give that burden to god being able to say you know i'm not always going to make the right decisions, but I trust you with whatever the ultimate outcome is going to be. And this isn't talking about the non, I guess this is kind of a different topic, but I wrote a really good book over break called just do something. And it was talking about Mm -hmm. making, yeah, we talked about this, just making non-moral decisions that aren't, they don't ultimately matter which one you make. Like if you're going to major in business or communications like god is going to use you in whatever way he wants if you major in business or if you major in communications right if you decide to take this career path over this one god's going to use you in whatever path that is and yep. ultimately he knows what path that is but i think what was my original train of thought here sorry
0: so it, like kind of just the motivation for people to not do what you do basically like what is the yeah, what is
1: yeah. i think that motivation just comes from I'm in control of what I'm going to do and I'm going to do it really well. I'm going to be exceptional. Me, me, me. I'm going to be great. And not that that's always the motivation because I don't think everybody has ambition, but I do think mm-hmm. that's part of it.
0: Well, it's, um, it's kind of new as well. I think because it, you know, we, I, I wonder if that's a, that's an interesting pattern that we've come to that at least I, you know, coming from that point you just made where, do you think people kind of felt like in past times like almost disempowered where they like couldn't control like you know because people like and now we think we can control everything Mm -hmm. but like you know let's just say 50 years ago in the same you know protestant conservative ohio i you know i i think you know maybe it's the it's the technology getting bigger it's 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 media it's social media it's something but do you like I wonder if that's a link that could be you know people just feeling less in control people feeling like you know times were harder everything else that kind of drove them to basically say like look there could be a fucking you know whatever that comes and you know fucks my life up tomorrow so I might as well do the things that matter now but I think with just you know to your point the the optionality the everything that kind of people have in today's society it's just kind of like and I don't want I'm not like a fucking 60 year old man saying this but it's like you know, now it's like, you know, people just have that kind of novelty with how they want to spend their time. And I think it's kind of a a really, uh, a really interesting concept to go about, you know, so I I think I think that's a lot of merit to that point at the Mm -hmm. end of the day.
1: And the book talked about this a little bit, too. When you go back 50 years, 60, 70, whatever it may be, think about your grandparents, if you were having a conversation with your grandpa, and you were asking him some of the questions that you were going through recently, And if you're talking to your grandpa, you're like, Grandpa, when you were dating grandma, were you really stressed out about the decision to propose to her? Were you praying about this all the time, really worried about it? Your grandpa wasn't worried about that. It was the right thing to do. Like, he just knew that it was right. And he was comfortable and willing to make that decision. So I don't think people 50 years ago, 100 years ago, maybe there was a certain degree of it, but I don't think people felt a lack of control over their lives. I think they felt a positive sense of duty.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, people just, I think, and it's not saying they weren't intelligent, but they just thought less. They just kind of were like, you know, this is what. They overthought less. Yeah. Yeah. I said, yeah, Yeah. they overthought less. So it's like, this is kind of, you know, and that really, honestly, is like the definition of duty. It's like, you know, you know, you should be doing something. So do that something, Mm -hmm. right. It's kind of that internal, thing where you have like a track you need to go down and do everything else. And I think, um, so is, is that like, you know, a feedback loop that I think, you know, a lot of people that you, I, I'm like I'm proposing a question to you, but I think in the broader sense, when you do have that, is it that sense of duty that brings people to do those positive things for themselves, those meaningful things for themselves? And I, cause I, I think, you know, looking at, you know my own personal life and I would love to get your take on this too, I think it is that sense of duty that really brings people back to you know it's a feedback loop whether we want to admit it or not it's like okay I'm probably not being as good of a Christian I want to be today I'm probably not being as good of a student I'm not being as good as of a son or a brother or something else I need to get back myself on the path and keep moving forward and doing all this other stuff and I think it's just kind of framing what that duty is to people because if people have a duty like oh man I'm dutiful to my friends to go to a bar tonight then they're going to do that every Friday and so it's, I think that's honestly, you know, that might be the, the catalyst for a lot of the decisions people make, regardless of what those decisions are.
1: And I think you hinted at this. It's important what that duty is to, mm-hmm. if that duty is to your family to make good on their investment in raising you, what, if they paid for your college, their investment, literal, like financial investment in your education, Yeah. whether mm-hmm. that's a duty to your family to provide them grandchildren, whether that's Mm -hmm. a duty to your friends to be a good person, duty Mm -hmm. to your brothers and sisters in Christ to acknowledge when you've fallen short of they have. It's Mm -hmm. a lot of different things, but I do think that duty source has shifted. I think a lot of the duty now is to yourself. And because the duty is to yourself, a lot more people are okay with not living up to that standard mm-hmm. because it's, I personally think it's a lot easier to fail yourself than it is to fail somebody you care about and love. Mm. Like, I would yeah. fail myself 10 times out of 10 over failing my mom.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would well, fail you- myself over failing God 10 times out of 10.
0: I mean, when you, say, when you say your mom and your God, those are like the two people you can't, like, those right. are the ones you cannot fuck up under any circumstances.
1: And there are just so many less obligations to solidified figures in your life nowadays, I think, and so many more independent obligations oh, that there's no
0: accountability there. Is that like just you know you observing other people in re in relationship to, to like their families? Are you talking about like you know kind of people you know being more distant from their families or close to their families, or is it more just a a generalized sense of that?
1: I think it's partially being more separated from your family, but mm-hmm. I d- also think it's just culturally what our values are as a society right now
0: yeah, okay, yeah I, I agree with you, I agree with you I think it's uh it's everything's just becoming so decentralized and so disassociated from a lot of different things. It's, it's just so hard for a lot of people. I think right now to kind of pay attention to really what, you know, we just don't know what a lot of that stuff is for ourselves. anymore. Mm. And I think it's kind of, you know, when it's a, what it's, you know, to I think both of our points, it's like, it's a, what master do you serve question at the end of the day? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I know you have a Catan game to get going to. That's very important. I don't want to mess that up. So oh, dude. Well, think,
1: you, we well, have plenty of time.
0: So we'll, I, we'll end on, I think, two uh, these are going to be, I think, interesting for me to figure out. And, you know, I, I'll probe a little bit myself. But so when you look at this kind of lifestyle you've constructed for yourself, uh, this value-oriented system that's, you know, buttressed by, by duty and all the things you kind of do to support it, what are the positives and negatives you've seen with how the construction has worked? Like, what have you gained? What have you given up? If you could, ch- I know you said, you. and this is, no one says yes to this question. If you could change anything, would you change anything? Like, what are kind of the positive negatives? What have you gained from doing this? And what have you given up from this? And kind of where do you sit in your head mentally and emotionally and spiritually with all that?
1: So I thought about this a lot graduating in June and I visited my brother during spring break and he attends Ohio State. Yep. And- Big Buckeye Donuts, man, like all of us. Oh my gosh, Buckeye Donuts. But seeing how much fun- People have at state schools was something I felt like I missed out on in going to Northwestern. Yeah, Not that yeah. people don't know how to have fun here, but if you're flipping a coin, just probability wise, random student in Northwestern, they're much more likely to be in the library at 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning yeah. than finishing a party at a fraternity.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Um, Literally.
1: But In going to Northwestern, I think that's one of the things I gave up, part of that social aspect, because in high school, I wasn't going to Northwestern. I didn't make that decision based on Northwestern's social reputation. Right. I went there based on their football and academic reputation, and Mm -hmm. I think I gained through that. I think I gained a good education, some continued discipline and work ethic, which I think I can always continue to work on, Mm -hmm. and the guys that i've built relationships with here at northwestern i would not trade that for the world yeah. there is not there is not much in my life that i would do to give up the men that i've played with the coaches that i've played for mm-hmm. so that's another thing i think i've gained in in between that you know studying on a saturday night giving up some of those social opportunities You know, I have church on Sunday morning, giving up some of those other Saturday night opportunities I would have if I weren't studying. But in the end, what's more impactful? What's more long lasting? Yeah. One Saturday night and definitely some of the camaraderie you build in going out and partying, but that, or your education, your faith, these relationships you can continue to build with teammates and that doesn't always have to include drinking. I think a yeah. certain level of drinking is acceptable. I, I, would, I, would say I, I would hope not. But it's, I would like to think that for the majority of my time in college, I've invested in the things that are going to be longer lasting. And mm-hmm. I know many times during college that I have not. Yeah. And, and sure. But ultimately, some of those, some, not all, but some of those I don't regret because they've continued to teach me and bring me to where I am today. There are definitely some mistakes I've made in college that I would take back that I don't really want to talk about right now. But of course not. Yeah. Yeah. Does that answer the question?
0: Yeah, no, I, I think it's it's just it's interesting because you kind of have to take a, uh, you know, an inventory. I find myself doing this, probably it's, it's probably an, a very unhealthy habit that I do. And I, or I would say the frequency is more unhealthy than the habit. Cause I think, do you think taking inventory to your point is, is definitely worth doing on a lot of occasions because you do have to, you know, kind of eventually take stock of your life and say like, okay, this is the pieces and parts that make up the whole of who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, with where I kind of get into, you know, the, uh, another feedback loop and kind of all this other stuff is really just kind of how, um, I would say, you know, it's focusing on kind of the, what went wrong instead of what's going right. And I, you know, we have negativity bias. We have all this, we have psychology to back this up, but it's just, you know, to your point, it's like, you know, if, if I were in your shoes and I think you're, I think more stable in this than I am at this point, but it's like, if I were in your shoes and I was, you know, an athlete at Northwestern University and I went to, you know, get donuts to my brother on a Saturday at Ohio state, I'd really, that would eat at me a lot, I think. And I think it eats at a lot of people a lot because I think, you know, you go and you have all of these good things that are going for you and you're confined to them by your own doing, what your own value sets are, what your duties to those things are. And then you step out into another person's world and you see like, wow, this is a different perspective that I have with everything. These are the things that people enjoy. I might enjoy doing this. I would really not enjoy doing this. And I, I remember pretty vividly in my, um, in my freshman year where... Um, I was, I would stay with, uh, with Connor on the weekends and I would hang out with him and his roommates yeah. and everything. And um, I would be so envious of his two roommates because his two roommates were just the complete untethered from the earth. Didn't really care about school, but they were the funnest people I've ever hung out with in my entire life. And I would be like, God, what I would give to really just not give a fuck about any of the stuff I give a fuck mm-hmm. about this, you know, step into their shoes and live that. But
1: isn't that a weird thing to want to yeah. not care?
0: Yeah, no, it's, and it's, it's interesting because I think, you know, people would be like, oh, I would want to do this. I would want to be like this celebrity or this influencer or this person in your life. But it's like, would you though? Like, would that really, really make you happy? Because at the end of the day, we are, I think, what we repeat in the patterns that we enact out in our lives. And if I were to be that just general hedonist of the people that I spent, you know, my weekends with on Saturdays, just going out and just you know, blacking out every weekend and doing whatever, like, if I really had that old composition, but I just started adopting that lifestyle, I would be a wreck. I would be fucking miserable if I did that all, all, all the time doing that kind of stuff. So it's good from, you know, I, I have the saying, you know, now, because I lived in Boston for a year, I, I think this is true with other people's perspective as well. I'd left. I'd like to visit there, but to live there, I would not like to live there. Mm-hmm. So in other people's, you know, lives, what i like to visit sure, I'd like to visit, but would I like to live as that person in that person's lifestyle? I would say an emphatic no for almost right. every person, and these are people I respect, by the way, but, yeah, it, you yeah. know, I think it's, you know, these are, you know, kind of things, if I were to say, like, what I want to be this person's life, it's like, I don't think I would at all, to be quite honest with you, and I think, you know, I don't know if you think the same way, but, you know, looking at that from that perspective, I think it's definitely, that's my, that's where I come down on that situation, for sure.
1: Yeah, and I think my brother, would be the first to tell you that when I visited him this spring break, that slight, not so slight envy that I had of his life at Ohio state was eating at me. He. Oh, really? A great witness. Yes. And too much. But that being said, like looking back on that, he does a way better job at thriving and caring about the things that he cares about. Yes. In Columbus his young life community, his schoolwork, his friends, all of that. He does a way better job thriving in that community than I think I would. And I'm Mm -hmm. incredibly happy for him to, for him to do so Mm -hmm. because he loves Columbus, loves the area. He has such a great time there. And I was not meant to be there. And I think he is. Yep. And that's something important for me to remember, at least when I'm looking at something that I would desire more in this moment
0: yeah and it's um you know it's people are you know people are placed different you know in different places different situations for different reasons to your point and I think it's like the and that's kind of what's what's cool about us as humans is we do you know we're all not meant to be we're not we're not cogs we're not widgets like we're not all meant to be you know kind of the same person plug and play into whichever situation we're going to be we're meant to be we're meant to be different people we're meant to kind of be you know a different type of you know person than the next person that we'd all be really, really fucking boring if that was the case. And mm-hmm. I think it's kind of just seeing that, okay, this person's living this type of life with these type of values, and that's okay. This person's living this type with this type, and that's okay. Right, and right. I think developing that is, it gives you a very, very good sense of security. And I think that's something that especially, you know, us as 20-somethings growing up in America now, people are just, our age are just missing that to such a degree. And And, you know, it's, the easy one to pick on is the political stuff because I mean, you know, people politically they just like if someone thinks, you know, steps on one landmine that they lay for them, you know, something else they just get blown to pieces, and you know, but it's it's not even that, and you know, it's it's hard to not get caught up into that cycle of of judgment of other people based on what they think is correct or what they think is right, and if you can avoid doing that, in my estimation, then you're going to be so much happier than the next person that's doing that. You're just going to be so you're not going to be free as a bird, but you're just going to be like. You know, you're just going to be happy at the end of the day. I mean, you're, wait, if you don't get, you, the less you care about how people live their lives, the more happy you'll be living in your own.
1: And talking about missing out on what other people are doing, you can't do everything in life. Mm-hmm. You yep. cannot live every experience that somebody else is going to have. Gotta so pick. you're going to have trade offs, and that's yep. fine. And you pick what you think is going to be best for you in the long run, and that's awesome and commit to it don't worry about what other people have to say like you were just talking about with the politics stuff like it's great to disagree hearing other people's perspectives hearing other people's views on different issues is great and that's what builds a constructive mind a mind that's able to empathize and think about other people in other situations Mm -hmm. so those are two kind of different topics but i think they go together well
0: of course, yeah, and I think the uh, the last question, you know, I think, especially now we're talking about bringing other people into this, uh, into this conversation, I think it's, um, so this, this lifestyle, this balance you've created this, you know, with these different types of things you like to do in your life and other people's, frankly, if we're talking in a broader context, how has this affected your relationships with people? I know you kind of touched on it with, you know, both your parents and your, now your brother and your teammates and everything, but. How has this either alienated you from other people or brought you closer to others? And are you okay with each of those aspects being alienated by some being accepted by others?
1: So I think it affects like, I think the things that I do affect different people differently. I think Mm. for teammates, me, they view me as the nerd of the team. And I think (laughs) to a certain degree, that endears me to them and i'll talk their ear off about biology physics chem Mm -hmm. ancient greece ancient rome i'll talk their ear off about any of those all day but i think overall it endears me to them there are probably some people that keep their distance from me for that reason but Mm -hmm. i i think that's fine either way i have kind of learned that i guess i'm still learning but people you can't control their responses to you yeah Mm -hmm. and you do what makes you happiest that isn't going to negatively impact other people and is continuing to serve god and that's all you can really ask for in life Mm -hmm. then if you're talking about like academic friends different people in that circle they look at me as football sam like the jock guy yeah that isn't completely stereotypical jock but
0: I think that's the lens through which they look at me. Mm, You're just the big lumbering bearded, you know, football guy. That's also likes to talk about the periodic table on occasion. Exactly. Yeah. And
1: I think for people that know me well, that endears me to them because like you've talked about a lot tonight, that is a difficult thing that I'm continuing to do along with things that they're doing. And I think that endears me to people I know well, but for people that I don't know, well, I think that keeps them away from me because they look at me as that jock and they, it's easy to stereotype when you don't know somebody very well. Right. And that's another thing as a society that both society and I need to do better, mm-hmm. getting to know people better rather than just making quick
0: judgments on them based on a certain group they belong to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it's, um, you know, the, the, your life is, at the end of the day, some of your relationships, I think it's the, sum of, you know, the people mm-hmm. you, spend the most time with the people you spend the most, you having conversations like this, doing everything else, you know, kind of just seeing the investment of what you care about and seeing how other people react to it and feed off of it. And I think, you know, when people can understand that and realize that, which I think you do to your credit, um, I think that's just kind of, it's, it's a recipe for, again, just more, I hate using the word happiness because happiness is just such an overused word now, but it's, it's, it's true. You know, I think it's, you know, it's just kind of, uh, you know, it's a recipe for living a good, productive, and constructive lifestyle, and I think that's, uh, that's you know, something that not a lot of people get, but hopefully, you know, people listening to this, and all seven of them that are out there that are listening to this now, hopefully more now that you're on it, but, uh, you know, my, my, my first celebrity cameo of the podcast <laughs> experience.
1: Celebrity. That, uh, you uh, can't uh, hear the air quotes, whoever's yeah. listening. To
0: <laughs> and I think, um, yeah, so I think it's, uh, it's important to, you know, just and I don't know if, you know, this, this, this will be the last thing we touch on, but like, I feel like when I think, you know, of these things with myself, you know, it's hard not to feel like you're the only person that thinks this and that you're going insane by thinking like a certain thing about a certain thing or whatever. And you just kind of talk to somebody and they feel that and you're like, you t- you can feel the weight lifted off your shoulders and You breathe. I'm like, Oh, thank God. Like, I'm, mean, you know, this other person thinks this about this as well. And I'm not the only person thinking about this. And it's, it's a, it's a comforting feeling, but it's also, you know, kind of good to see that people also are taking care of themselves and investing in what they truly believe to important, whether I agree with it or not. I mean, people just kind of, you know, go and they say like, I want to live my life this way. And I think this is good for this reason and that reason. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's, that's good. yeah, that's right. That, that, that's good. You have, you know, yep. there's the thing called sovereignty that I think a lot of people are, 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 forgetting that we have over. A lot our of people
1: want to government. give away sovereignty, make no, my decisions no,
0: for me. No, 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 Bad idea. Oh, I'm with
1: yeah. you. But I do think a lot of people don't like the burden of
0: decision making. Yeah, so a lot of people are kind of shunning sovereignty in a way. Wow, that's interesting. Don't value it. Yeah, that's it's it's a shame, and I think that's uh, that's uh, you know I hate to leave it kind of uh, I don't want to leave that on a cliffhanger because that's a really <laughs> really interesting point, but it's um you know I don't know just I think honestly seeing that you have I think it's reminding people that you have sovereignty, you have that ability yeah. to kind of decide what you can care about and what everything else you don't have to give a fuck about something that you don't care about or something like that, right, you're like right. you don't. And, you know, it's just kind of, uh, it's interesting that people, you know, they, they buy so much into that stuff, but hopefully it's like, they can, you know, eventually as we kind of grow and we age, we see that really all the stuff that goes on in our personal lives and all this other stuff, a lot of it doesn't mean anything other than what we make out of it, then it's gonna be, you know, the better that we see that now versus seeing it. when it's like, oh wow, we're really stuck in this shit now and we're like 50, and we can't really change everything about it, you know. With like, you know, whatever. fifty, so, you got twenty-year-old kids, and
1: yeah, it's like, well, you want to you know, make gonna,
0: a you want to make a change to your life. Eh, I mean, it's gonna yeah, I'm just gonna live in the, live in a shack or move to Tahiti or some right. other, you know, something like that. That's that's really what I care about in life. Mm-hmm. So it's um, but all right, well, you know, say I'll, I'll have you stay on after the, after the Zoom so we can you know debrief and whatever. But you know, again, thank you for hopping on, man. I thought this is a great conversation, and I think it's thank you for great having me. To, yeah, I, I, I absolutely. I would love to have you come on again. We'll kind of get. To, hopefully, we'll. I don't want them to get too sick of you quickly. They've already gotten sick of me. So I, I you know, a yeah, I want to,
1: I want to retain favor in the listeners' minds. So. Yeah, no,
0: this is, yeah. this is the. You are the, you are the Mike Tyson, the punch in the mouth to start out love this it. this new era of the don't do this media brand. So Sam, thank you for coming on. Uh, this is a great conversation, and, uh, you know, again, thank you for coming on, and hope to have you on again soon, my man. Awesome, thank you, man. All right, to my listeners. On the day, open your mind, have a good one, y'all. i see you next week. Hoppin', stoppin', hoppin' like a rabbit. When I take the leaner, Ross, you know I got the habit. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit, and i think thank you well. How can I make my aggression? And how should I make that nigga straight?